I'm going to share with you the message that God placed upon my heart, and it pertains to something I think all of us are well aware of, and that is the fight that we experience daily. It might be in your own personal life. It might be in the context of a relationship, even in your marriage with your children, grandchildren, in the workplace or where you attend school, in your community, in the very culture of our day in America itself. Fighting, fighting for those things that we believe are right and of a godly principle. Now, when I speak about fight in the context of the Bible, it's not an invitation to become violent, it's an invitation to become obedient, obedient to the will and the ways of God. Now, the Lord placed this upon my heart. Therefore, he's mindful of what maybe you've been dealing with throughout this past week. Maybe in your own personal life, you've had a battle and you have found yourself waning with strength and not having victory. Maybe this week, you lost a lot of battles. In your own personal life, maybe in your mind, your emotions, just a, a variety of different thoughts that have just bombarded you or emotions and feelings that have just descended over you that brought you into a state of losing victory emotionally, mentally, or maybe in your own physical body, just a battle for your health and you're getting weary. Or like I said earlier, in a relationship, maybe it's gone south, there's been very little improvement and you're tired of battling in that area. Or maybe there's a particular temptation that has become habitual and consistent, it's become a stronghold in your life. It could be identified as an addiction because it's so persistent in your life and you just, don't get victory over it. It's a battle that's so real, maybe it's private, only known to you. There's a victory I believe God wants to give to us. Wherever that battle is, wherever that fight is, I believe he says some things to us very clearly as we peer back into the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 14 and verse 14, the context here is Moses. He's speaking to the people of Israel because they have now come to the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming at them as an enemy that wants to wipe them out. And Moses makes this statement, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. In other words, just be silent. Don't say anything and observe and see the hand of God that will miraculously, supernaturally intervene and rescue your life, all of our lives, from the onslaught of the enemy, in this case, the Egyptians. And then, of course, the Lord performed an incredible miracle of parting the Red Sea. In Deuteronomy chapter one and verse 30, it's Moses speaking again. Now he's speaking to the Israelites and saying to them, we're about to enter into the promised land, you know, because he had sinned and expressed anger that the Lord restricted him from going into the promised land. But he said to them, listen, the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you. And maybe of any of those who needed to hear it, it was Joshua, because Joshua was going to take on this great military campaign of entering into the promised land and securing it as property and provision and the fulfillment of a promise to the people of Israel. God is saying, though, I believe to all of us here, whatever battle you're in, 
If it's in your mind or your emotions, if it's in a relationship, finances or physically, if it's in the context of a temptation, a persistent one in your life, wherever that battle is, or battling for your future, wherever that battle is, I believe the Lord wants to say to you and to me, to all of us, that he is going to be right in the middle and in the midst of that fight. And you can rely on him to establish a strategy that he will give to you to implement. For some, it might be a strategy that's very natural. For others, it's supernatural. He might say to you like he did to Moses, lift up your staff and I'll split the Red Sea. Or he might say to you like he did to Noah, build a boat. He might say to you, like he did to Jehoshaphat, I want you and those assembled with you to sing a song of praise unto me. I want you to bring a song into this battle. Or he might say to you, as he did to Joshua, lift up your sword, your literal sword, and invade this land in the conquest. And you see that all through the book of Joshua, especially in Joshua chapter 10, where they battled but God gave them the victory. I don't know what the process will be or the strategy. It's different in my life, but he promises to give it if we place our eye upon him and we earnestly desire to want it. That is the most important ingredient in guidance. I'm convinced of it. It's not your intellect, not even your spiritual maturity, not your command of circumstances or your own personal experience. I believe the most important ingredient for us in guidance is the sincerity of saying, God, I want to know your will. When you sincerely, I mean from your heart, that means all of us can do this because we all vary in our experiences, education, and spiritual maturity. I get that. And all of those areas should be applauded. But the most important ingredient in guidance I'm convinced, is the sincerity of your heart that says, I really want to know your will. I'm not playing a game. I'm not superimposing my own ideas. I really want to know your will, your strategy for this battle. I believe when you do that with a sincere heart, it locks you into the sovereignty of God. And he will make sure that you don't miss him. He'll make sure you don't miss him. He'll give you big guidance with that big decision because you sincerely want to know his will. And so in whatever battle you're in, whatever you're wrestling with, I, I would just encourage you to begin to say, Lord, what is your, what's on your agenda? What's your direction? Bring clarity to my choices. Establish that strategy. And I'm, what I have to do is I'm gonna sincerely say, I really want it. I want to know it, and I want it to come from you. You press in, and I promise you, he will do that. You know, the word fight in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, the Greek language of the New Testament, carries a twofold meaning. One is to struggle, the other one is to overcome. You see the marriage? We're in the midst of the struggle, but when we invite God into the battle, we overcome. So in the midst of the fight, there's a struggle, but there's an overcoming force when you invite God into that. Invite him into it. Invite him into it. Another scripture that's found in the Old Testament is in Joshua chapter 10 and verse 25. Now this is Joshua actually speaking and the historical context is they're engaging in a battle and they've won. 
And five of the kings that they had gone against hid in a cave. Then they go and they pull all five out. And Joshua says to his captains, I want each one of you to put your foot on each one of their necks. And that was symbolic because the neck is always symbolic of will, the human will. And he's showing that God's will will dominate over human will. And then Joshua will say this with each of his captains with their foot upon the neck of each one of these kings, the enemies. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus says the Lord, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. He's going to give us victory. Now this last one is very familiar. We quoted it at the beginning of the service. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. It's the apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit giving instruction to Timothy. And really it's an admonition to all of us, an encouragement to all of us to engage in this fight. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Now, when that's presented, maybe we need to gain a little bit more of an insight to the idea of the good fight. Obviously, it almost seems like the antithesis or the opposite of that is the bad fight. So what's the good fight? Well, in the New Testament, when the word good is used, you have to really elevate that term up high. It's not the regular connotations that we have of that. The, 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 the workable definition in the New Testament of good is almost analogous to the word holy. That's why in Mark chapter 10, in verse 18, when Jesus was approached and the gentleman said to him, good teacher, what did Jesus say? He said, good teacher, there is no one good except God. He immediately takes the word good and catapults it to a whole new level. So that theologians will say, when you see the word good, you should insert the word holy or even insert the word God. There's no one good but God. What does that say to me? What does it say to you? Well, the good fight means it's the godly fight. It's the fight that God is in. It's a holy fight. And your invitation is to say, Lord, I want to cooperate with you. This good fight means you're in this with me in the midst of it. And when it says, lay hold of eternal life, I think we need to look at that through the lens of 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, it speaks of eternal life, not so much as an experience or a perpetual existence, but an individual, a person. Because it says, an eternal life was with the Father. It's like what Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, zoe, eternal life. So when it speaks here about eternal life through the lens of realizing the focus is on the person of Christ, then you can say, well, fight the good fight, the godly fight, the fight that God is with you in. It's a holy fight and lay hold of eternal life by laying hold of the eternal one, Jesus Christ. Lay hold of him. So it's saying, invite God into the middle of that battle into the middle of that fight. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12, we were worshiping. That portion of scripture is Jehoshaphat. He's the king over Judah, the southern kingdom. They're coming under the assault of several enemies. He receives the report. When he hears the report, he becomes fearful. Have you ever gotten a report about your physical health, about your job? 
maybe a test that you took and it didn't turn out well, and that could be physically or academically, or a report about your marriage, something pertaining to your future, or your finances. You get a report and it just hits a chord of fear in you. He got this report and it hit his heart hard. So he called everyone to turn to God. And you'll hear this statement, it always stands out to me, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. It'll say, Lord, I look to you, you're the God of the heavens, I'm asking that your power could intervene. And he says this, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are upon you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. You know, they've done studies about where you place your eye and it impacts directly what you hear. Your eye could be over here, there'll be noise. But hearing with understanding, hearing with understanding only comes based on what you're looking at. So when there's movement and your eye begins to wander, I know that you may be hearing noise coming out of my mouth, but you're not hearing with understanding. Movement attracts the human eye. That's why they don't ever let someone walk behind you. It upstages because there's movement. If there was some bird flying behind me, I'd you know, all you guys... Or I see some of you kind of looking out the window and you see the movement of the branches. Our eyes will gravitate toward movement. That's why I jump around up here a little bit so that you guys try to stay focused. Because the moment I lose your eye, I lose your ability to hear with understanding. There's really something significant about that. So that's why the Lord says in Psalm 32, 8, I will lead you, I'll guide you, I'll direct you with my eye. Something about focus. So where you set your eye inevitably impacts what you hear. And so he says, in the midst of this fear and the perplexity of not knowing what to do, he says, but my eyes are on you. I'm looking to you, Lord. Grant the direction, the guidance that I need. And in that milieu, two verses later in verse 15, it will say this, three verses later, it'll say this. The spirit of prophecy came upon one of the leaders and turns and says, listen, all of those who reside in Judah and to you, King Jehoshaphat, the Lord says, the battle is mine. The battle is the Lord's, don't be afraid. So right in that place, I've seen it in my own life. When I'm perplexed, fearful, at loss in how to proceed, not knowing what to do, and I'm overtaken by the intimidation of something unfolding in my life, I say, Lord, I'm afraid. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I'm looking to you. And I guarantee in that moment, you'll hear a prophetic word come to your heart. Don't worry, don't be fearful. The battle is not yours, it's mine. I'm going to be with you in this. Now, that's not an invitation to passivity or apathy or to be insipid. That doesn't mean you become indifferent, sit down and watch God battle. No, it means he establishes the strategy. When the Lord says the battle's mine, that means I'm going to be with you and I'm going to give you a strategy. And I'll either give you a song to sing or a sword to place in your hand. I'll either give you a natural or a supernatural process. But let me establish the strategy in your life. But you've got to give a listening ear and you've got to give your eye to him. 
Now there's some key components in a good fight. I'm gonna cover these rapidly, but it causes me to reflect on something that happened to me when I was 10 years old. I kind of rubbed this one guy wrong. He was 12 years old. We attended St. Agnes grade school. And um, he said, okay, you, you ticked me off. We're gonna fight in the playground today during recess. And so of course, to kind of maintain that bravado, I was like, yeah, good, no problem. But I was scared to death because he was really big, okay? I was 10, he was 12 years old. So uh, do you remember the days, some of you who are older, when you'd go on the playground and there wasn't a lot of security and they would actually form a ring of, of kids and they'd push you in the ring because you, you were gonna be the ones fighting. So I came out there and they said, hey, did you hear? He's waiting for you. I said, oh, Raymond's waiting for me? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I said, no problem, I'm gonna, f no problem. And there's a big ring form. Now, some of my friends were like pushing me back and like, no, 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 don't go in there. And I was like this. So I was playing with it. Like, no, no, don't let me in there. Then all of a sudden they let go. Oh. And you know, you're like, you wish that would have continued, but they let go. And now I was all alone in the ring. And there was Raymond. And he was gonna, he was gonna take my head off. So I started moving toward him and he goes like this, oh, I'm gonna take you out. And all of a sudden, my cousin showed up. He's, he was a year older, so he was 13. I was 10, this one, Raymond was 12, he was 13. Now, here I am, here's Raymond, here's my cousin, Polly. yeah. They called me Little Z, he was called Big Z. You get the picture? Okay. So all of a sudden, he came in that circle, he stood in front of me. So then I, you know, I felt tough again. I was like, no, no, Polly, I'll have him. I said, like, <laughs> Polly said, no, no, uh, no, no, Little Z. And he, I remember he looked at Raymond, he goes, okay. He goes, you ain't gonna mess with my cuz. Before you touch little Z, you gotta go through big Z. Before you invade his house, you gotta deal with this house. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and Raymond, he backed down. He knew the odds were against him. Now I was peeking back there. <laughs> but big Z, showed up for little Z and intimidated the enemy and it was over. Now, I know, it's, you know, forget about the analogy, but just kind of take it up a few notches and think of it, big Z is gonna show up. He's gonna show up in the middle of your battle, in the middle of those intimidating words or the odds are against you. And wherever you're at, with the doctor's report, with your health, or with your finances, I don't know how we're going to pay these bills, or our marriage, how could it possibly make it? I've made some really bad choices. You're in the battle, but the Lord's with you. And that's the first thing I'd say is there's a cooperation between you and God. In the middle of a good fight, it involves you and it involves God. And as I said earlier, it involves a strategy that God will set for you be it battling with a song or a sword, be it like Jehoshaphat or Joshua, be it like Noah or Moses. You discern, you really want it, that'll lock you into the sovereignty of God. And then also, it involves discernment. In the midst of a, a fight, you have to know where the battleground is. And in the New Testament, it teaches us that there is the battleground of the sinful nature. 
Now, this could be in the arena of temptations that you collide with. It talks about Galatians 5.17 and the battleground being the sinful nature where there's that propensity to fall into jealousy or envy or pride or drunkenness or lust or whatever the area is that can pound on you and get the better of you. And when that temptation knocks at your door, you have a tendency of opening it up too quickly. So if that's the battleground, there's some things that are prescribed very clearly in Holy Scripture and, and how to deal with that. Or the worldly systems in James 4.4 talks about you can't have friendship with the world. Friendship meaning to be influenced, to be dominated, to, for there to be a flow into your life of the culture. You get diluted and you get polluted by the world. And there can be a real battle there on group thinking or the philosophy of the day or the mores or ethical systems of the day and a culture that's very eclectic and open-minded to anything can go. You've, you've got to be careful. Is that the battleground? Or demonic forces in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the apostle Paul says, listen, yeah, there's some things in the natural you've got to deal with, but there is also the reality that you're not warring against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and darkness. And though they're invisible, they are real. Jesus dealt with them, the Apostle Paul dealt with them, any disciple of the New Testament has dealt with them. And believe me, if you have never thought they exist, you ought to come with me and get involved in a deliverance or an exorcism where I've had to operate with the authority of Christ coming against demonic forces. It can be very intimidating because they're not omniscient, but they're knowledgeable things and they'll begin to articulate it. And their supernatural power I went in with five guys that were as big as football players for the, for the New York Giants and threw all five into the wall. It was a woman. They were freaked out. They all ran out because it was supernatural power. But you have to know in the middle of that, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And there's an authority for us as believers and an anointing. But there are demonic forces and there's a battleground there. But God will fight that fight with you and the strength he gives. So I say, okay, I recognize that some of the components in this battle is there's got to be a cooperation. I don't just sit down. I cooperate with God and hear his strategy. And then I realize, Lord, give me discernment, the ability to pierce through and to see where the real battle is. See, in a relationship, the battle might be very natural. You need a good dialogue, a good exchange of truth. You need to have a good sit-down conversation. There's some other relationships, even when you've done it, it doesn't work. You've got to press in because there may be some demonic snakes and scorpions at play here. And Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the evil one. There's been some relationships that I've brought everything I could. And it was like, there's no reconciliation here. What's going on? And then I realized, wow, I've got to battle this in the arena of demonic forces. And when I started exercising my authority there, and the authority is not in yelling, screaming, kicking, and spitting, but knowing you have authority and you exercise it. And I saw, boom, a huge breakthrough in the relationship. And I realized, wow, that was the battleground. Then another component is it is a struggle. There's going to be. The reason it's called a fight is because it's a fight. So there's going to be a struggle. Now, let's say in the context of temptation, Jesus gives us an hyperbole. It's an intended exaggeration. He's not inviting us to mutilate our body, but he sure uses it as a strong way when he says in Matthew 5.30, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Wow. That means there's going to be some pain in that separation. So this is the good fight. There's going to struggle. 
This isn't tiptoeing through the tulips. This is going to be a fight. I mean, if this temptation is coming against me, there's got to be a place of cutting it off. Pluck the eye out, cut the hand off. Wow, that separation means it involves some pain, struggle, fight. I remember my brother Mike. Now, this was before I was a Christian, before he was a Christian. And this was before I met Raymond, but I wanted to know what a fight was like. And I said to my brother, Mike, I said, Mike, you've gotten into a lot of fights, you know, and you've been, you know, you've come out good. What does it feel like to be in a fight? What does it really feel like? You know what he did? Boom, punched right up. I started bleeding, I said, what are you doing? He said, that's what it feels like. My brother was very pragmatic. That's why he's a CPA, tax expert, very pragmatic fight you're gonna feel it there's gonna be a struggle it's inevitable so get ready there's some times when God's will is very pleasant and other times it's very difficult there's times that I'm glad mentors in my life said hey Gary when you get into that good fight there's gonna be a struggle it's called a fight because it is a fight then there has to be a persistence realizing that that fight is not just against something but for something for your relationship with God, seeking him. Tell me, do you struggle like I do with all types of distractions? Oh, pastor, you probably don't. You're the senior pastor of a church. All you do is pray and read the Bible and meditate. Ah. No, there's all kinds of stuff that hits your life and my life. Distracts us, derails us, pushes us off course. There's a plethora of them. Now, this is not the breeding ground to become irresponsible. You have lists, I have lists. And you need to do it, and you need to do it well at home and in the workplace. But you don't want to be entangled. You want to be engaged. And the difference is not just conceptual. I'm not getting philosophical here. There's a huge difference for me when I adhere to Matthew 6.33. Seek first, first, the kingdom of God. Don't let anything wedge itself in. Not a list, not an agenda, not a duty or a responsibility. First, you've got my eyes, you have my ears, my, my full attention, all my affections. I seek first the kingdom. The moment I do that, as I go into my everyday life, I'm engaged, but I'm not entangled. I'm not entangled by all the anxiety. I'm engaged. And there's a big difference. And that one will only be convincing when you actually do it. But I, I promise you, if you have found that you're battling for your relationship with God, press through that. Adhere to Matthew 6.33. Prioritize him, even above your studies, above whatever it might be that pulls on you. And I'm not saying any of that is evil. You have to engage. I have responsibilities as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a friend, as a colleague, as a senior pastor. You know, we have seven boards here. There's an elder board, a deacon board, a deaconess board, a trustee board, a, a school board, a missions board. You get really bored. Isn't that corny? It just came out. But you, you, got, you can have a lot of demands pulling on you. You got human needs, you got weddings and funerals, you got rejoicing times and horrible times. You got all kinds of things that collide with you. It goes with the territory, but he supplies tremendous grace. But I'll tell you, what allows me not to get all entangled, all convoluted and bound up in it, is when I seek him first. When I seek him first, then I engage. 
I engage. I got big, long lists just like you. I engage, but I'm not entangled. Big difference. Amen? Surrender is involved in the battle as well. Surrender sounds like something that you shouldn't associate with victory and a battle. Who wants to surrender the I give up? But paradoxically, in the middle of a battle, there's that moment of saying, I give up, Lord, and I place this fully into your hands. Now again, this may be in a relationship or finances or with your health, or it could be in the context of a temptation. But it's saying, Lord, I don't hold on to it because it's gonna destroy me. But don't just drop it. I know there's just imagery here and it seems conceptual, but don't just drop it. Because when you get vulnerable again, you'll pick it up. You'll, you'll just pick it up. Turn it over. I'm very intentional here with the, this in my life. I say, Lord, this is a battle and it's here in my hand, and if I hold it, it's just gonna destroy me. If I drop it, it's just a matter of time, I'll revisit it and pick it back up. So I wanna lift it up and give it into your hands. Give it into your hands, and I'll actually do that tangibly in prayer. I'm just turning this over to you. I'm gonna lift it up, I'm gonna give it up. When you lift it up and you give it up, it'll cause you to be able to stand up like it says in Ephesians 6, you'll be able to stand and withstand the enemy because you've released it. The scripture will say in Psalm 143, verse 8 and 9, I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me now, O Lord, from my enemy. I'm not going to hold it. I'm not going to just drop it. I'm going to lift it up. And again, when you lift it up, when you give it up, you'll be able to stand up and your surrender will become your place of stability in your life. It's a paradox, but in surrendering, you'll find stability for your feet. That's in the midst of the battle. Then there's the resistance. Resistance is not necessarily pushing evil away. It's moving toward God. When the Bible speaks about resistance, it's, it's, it's the force of, of fleeing you're moving away from evil, but you're pursuing God. So your focus is, I'm pursuing you, Lord. That's the manifestation of resistance. It's to flee and the force of fleeing that which is evil by setting your orbs of your eyes with intent and purpose toward God. So my resistance is saying, Lord, I'm pursuing you. I'm pursuing you. I'm pursuing you. And when you do that, it gives you tremendous victory. Now, in this area, you're moving away from evil. Some interpret that as a sign of weakness. Hey, why not, you know, take this on? I think it was Matthew Henry when he talked about sexual temptations. He says, there are many a vice that one can uh, conquer through fight, but this one, my friend, only through flight. Here's this 80-some-year-old Matthew Henry commentary of the Bible. This man of God just talks, talks about sexual temptation, and it's prevalent among the young, the old, and there's no issue of gender. Women get hit, men get hit. I used to think that I would reveal my strength by facing it head on. Actually, in college, I had a couple buddies that I really respected. And sometimes we were watching a football game. And you know, in the football game, sometimes just before the commercial or sometime when there's a, you know, when there's a timeout or whatever, the lens of the camera will go toward the cheerleaders. And they're not always dressed well. 
And at that moment, I would think of the scripture where David said, I will set no evil thing before me. And where Job said, I will make a covenant with my eyes. So I always knew, I always knew, hey, this is the moment where I need to look away. But I had a couple college buddies and they'd look and they'd say, hey, Zark, come on. Man up. Look at that and just say, hey, I'm okay. I said, but, but that's not what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee immorality. But they were interpreted for me like it was a sign of weakness. And then I learned by those who mentored me, oh no, it's a sign of wisdom. To flee is not, oh, I'm weak. No, it's wisdom. And really is a sign of strength, especially in this area. Don't fool yourself. This is not, <laughs> your heart will be overtaken and lust will just start manifesting. But if you say, no, I'm gonna flee, flee. And men are visual. I know women are more emotional, so whatever fleeing you have to do, if that conversation seems to be enticing for you as a woman, flee. Why my husband doesn't treat me like that, but you do showing concern and care and the sense of humor. Those are very attractive to a woman. For the man, it's the visual. Whatever it is, here's the scripture. I don't care what your logic says, here's the scripture. Flee sexual immorality. You turn from that, you turn, run toward him. Your heart will remain pure. Then there is the aspect of a rebuke in the spiritual battle. And that rebuke is the issue that when you're resisting, in other words, you're moving away from evil, moving toward God, there may be an interruption of demonic forces. That's when you need to exercise the rebuke. That's when you do push away. Like, you've gotten in my way. See, I'm going toward God. Now this demonic force or this, this force of evil has gotten in the way. That's when you extend your rebuke. And it's based on Jude chapter 1 and verse 9, where here Michael the archangel in contending with the devil regarding the body of Moses. Now we won't go into an exegesis of that because that's dealing with apocryphal literature about the assumption of Moses and why both wanted the body. Forget about that right now. Just what did Michael the archangel do? He said, the Lord rebuke you. So when I confront something like that, I will say the Lord in me rebuke you in Jesus' name. And to see the forces of hell broken. Now I'm gonna land with this. I'll invite the worship team to come up. David said something here in the context of a battle. Maybe this is where you're at. I know this is where I was at when I was dealing with man-pleasing and the fear of men, it's just intrinsically, innately built in to my rearing. Everyone, the Zarlingos, tried to make happy. Happy. My whole goal was, I gotta make you happy. I gotta do everything that will please you. And so there was this inordinate fear of people. Now think of it in ministry. My call is to make you healthy, not happy. But for me, it was an enemy that was really big and really strong in my life. Man-pleasing, performance, fear. And I said, like David said here in Psalm 18, God delivered me from my strong enemies for they were too strong for me. You got an enemy in your life that's just too strong for you? 
It, maybe it's a prejudice. Maybe it's dealing with your weight and trying to lose it and you just can't, you know, I don't want to say gluttony. I'm just saying you're battling. Or maybe it is for you with lust or maybe it, it's, it's, it's with a relationship. or I don't, I don't know, but is there somewhere in your life where you might say that? Is it with insecurity or whatever? You just say, this enemy just is too strong. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I know for me, it was like, I'm trying to, but I still, I get so tempted to try to make everybody happy. I'm bound with this, Lord. I'm, I'm always performing. I'm trying to always sell myself. This enemy is just too strong for me. And that's what he said to me. Oh, but Gary, my son, you're strong enough to pray for help. And you're strong enough to seek me. And you're strong enough to surrender to me. And in that battle, I did that. And he brought victory into my soul. Listen, if you don't know that, I know there's so many, so many different areas you could struggle with. That just happened to be a big one in my life. And the victory he brought into my life allows me to, to pastor you. Really does. I really love you with everything in me. But because of that, I'm not bound to try to please you. I want to make you healthy and strong in God. So that means sometimes when I got to give a word of correction, I'm going to give it. And when you hear me do that, just know that that was part of a healing in my life. Because if that didn't happen, all you would get every Sunday is sugar and dessert. Because it would make you happy. <laughs> okay, that's enough on that one. Let's stand together. And if this was on God's heart, what is he saying to you right now? I didn't know Jess, pastor, that's Pastor Matt's wife, on Friday evening was going to speak to all the young adults on this very topic. And she gave a stellar message to all the young adults at the table about the battle being the Lord's and the strategies that are established and the fight. And they ended with this song, and, I, and you know what? It's a real simple one. I usually don't like to end with an unfamiliar song because we're not here to learn it, but it's a, it's a real short one. Any one of us could do it, but it really relates to this message. As we sing it, just say, okay, now, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? Is it this area where you're saying enemy too strong, but I'm gonna strong enough right now to cry out to you for help? Is it for you maybe about the issue of cooperation? I don't know, with him and establishing a, a strategy? Is it for you, you know, maybe I need to get that discernment or for you the issue of resistance or the rebuke? I don't know, or the perseverance of pressing in. Lord, I ask that your voice that was descending over me would descend over all of us and just seal the deal in each of our hearts, that we would be victorious in this fight, the good fight, as we embrace you, Jesus, eternal life, the victory you want every single person in here to have. Father, we thank you for the authority that is in the name of Jesus. Thank you that your presence is with us right in the midst of it. And we lift our voice like Jehoshaphat. We say, though we don't know, our eyes are on you. And I know that you will flood each life here with a strategy, a direction, an anointing that will be by your spirit. Before I pray the benediction and the blessing over you, if you're here 
and you've never received Jesus Christ into your heart and your life, I encourage you just to pray a simple prayer like this. It's a sincere prayer from your heart. Jesus, I turn to you. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I repent. I resist by turning in your direction now and pursuing you. Come into my heart to be my savior, the forgiver of all my sins. And Jesus, I don't just bring you my sins, I bring you my life. Be the Lord of my life, the ultimate leader over my life. I receive the promise of your Lordship, of you saving me, forgiving me, and the gift of a purpose-filled life and eternal life. In your name, Jesus. I encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, at the end, there'll be leaders up here and they would just love to meet with you and pray with you again and just give you some resources to help you grow in God. And if you need special prayer for anything in your life, don't miss that opportunity. There's never shame, never embarrassment. I've come to altars constantly, even at pastors' conferences when no one goes up and you think they're gonna stereotype you as the backslidden preacher. I always say, who cares? Who cares? If I walk out free and healed and touched, who cares? Right? So if you need prayer, don't miss the opportunity where God will touch you. Now may the blessing of the Lord descend over your life. Yes, over your life. That you would walk in a new victory. You'd fight the good fight. You'll fight it with Almighty God, His power, His strength, and His anointing. As you cooperate with Him and the strategy is implemented, Great victory will be yours every day of your life. I pray this blessing now in Jesus' name. Now, would you say, I receive that. So let it be. God bless you.